0: welcome to another on the mic podcast thanks for being with me again uh, if it's your first time welcome and i hope you enjoy steven's podcast and the rest uh, i would recommend that if you're listening to this podcast head to youtube after and uh, have a look at it on youtube we do a lot of swing visuals um, a lot of video on this podcast so um, for a bit of context it would be worthwhile to check out youtube uh, that would be a recommendation so enjoy thanks very much for listening All right. Welcome to On The Mic. I'm Jake Killeen. On today's episode, I'm very excited to welcome world-renowned golf coach Stephen Giuliano to the show. Stephen is the Director of Play Development at Impact Elite Golf Academy at the Mines Resort in Kuala Lumpur. He is also a Level 4 Senior Aimpoint Instructor, only four in the world. Stephen has over 50,000 subscribers or followers on Instagram and has a huge stable throughout Asia where he travels over four or five countries per year to develop their games. I highly respect this man as a person and a coach, and I'm so thankful he's here with me today. I look forward to having a chat. Thanks for being with me, Stephen. Good morning. Good morning,
1: yes. Good morning from from Asia.
0: Yeah, mate, I love your little studio behind you. You've made that look pretty cool over the course of our shutdown.
1: I have, yeah. I've got a couple more little uh, adjustments I want to make to it. I've got got these kind of um, shelved, mirrored, things, which I had, uh, I kind of put it, I'll kind of already here, but I want to take one of them down on that one behind my head down or is that there, um, to create some more white space. And I want to hang a, I want to hang a uh, whiteboard on this other one. Where is that over there somewhere?
0: Yeah. Right. Okay.
1: Uh, yeah. Just so I can really use it for, um, yeah, for like good studio stuff and do tutorials and yeah, it'll, uh, it'll, it'll be like a proper studio, but it's a very, It's actually a pretty small office space, but it just works enough to swing a golf club and do, uh, do uh, videos in.
0: Yeah, sure. Is that where you do all your online stuff as well?
1: Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I'll do some stuff at the Academy um, that are based out in Malaysia, but I'll do, I'll probably do more of that for like short game. Like if I've got to like demonstrate, you know, shot variety around the green or bunker shots, but this actually works really well just for any full swing stuff. That's like, it's super easy. And yeah, I don't have to stress about like going to the academy and there's other coaches there or, you know, there's freaking uh, lawns, uh, the grass is being cut and there's too much noise or all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, it's a very like, it's very easy space to work in.
0: Yeah, cool. Well, you, you've got a huge name over in Asia. Um, a lot of people listening from Australia might not understand uh, what influence you got over there. Um, I've been over there for a year or so, come back recently. Mm. but I, I definitely yep. um, was... Uh, understanding of how how much you do over there in Asia and and yep. how many countries you travel to so um you know what what made you sort of leave Melbourne because you were down there for 10 years I think it's sanctuary lakes heading up the the coaching mm-hmm. there so why the yep. move from sunny Melbourne mate to to Asia
1: well first thing it's not always sunny as you know <laughs> <laughs>
0: might have uh, been some of the influence maybe
1: <laughs> yeah um it was. I guess I got to a point in my like coaching where I figured I'd been very fortunate. Uh, probably it's not a good word to use, but yeah, I'd been. I'd worked with some better players over my time, you know, including yourself as a trainee, including guys like Kieran, and including uh, Marty, including uh, Steely. Like these these younger guys who you know are all really still good friends of mine. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd been up, able to kind of work with this kind of young group of players back then, which turned into a Stacey Keating, which turned into, you know, some, some young tour players. I, I coached another boy from New Zealand who was coming through. And so that, that was really good experience. And I guess I was still pretty early on in my coaching there, but I, um, I enjoyed working with that, that better player. And I think like anything, like what you put out there is what you get back. You know, I was very, um, know if intense is the right word but very kind of focused as a one-to-one kind of coach and was very interested in like the the um, the kind of one-on-one uh, dealings with a person trying to get that trying to figure out how to make them better so going through that process having you know some success with those students you know Stacey ultimately went on to play on the European tour dabbled a little bit in the US she had some wins yeah you know, Kieran got to it was interesting both those Players got to number one in Australia as amateurs almost right at the same time. So I think that kind of helped things along a little bit. And, um, and ultimately, I kept working with those players. Kieran moved on when he turned pro um, and when he sort of started playing on the Asian tour. So I kind of got to a point where I'd, I'd finished up at Sanctuary Lakes, as you mentioned, and I'd started coaching at Albert Park. And then I sort of thought, well, is this pretty much what it's going to be like you know, going forward? you know, my next ten, twenty, thirty years. I, I was still a pretty young coach at the time, you know, ten to twelve years, thirty, four, five, I guess. And and I, I had dabbled a little bit in Asia already. When I say dabble at teaching in Asia, I'd um where I used to coach at Sanctuary Lakes, we had international programs. Uh much all the time so we'd have korean students that would come over we'd have students that come and train with us from uh, malaysia and thailand because we had a a a program that we ran through victoria university and so i i guess had created some you know relationships with with different asian demographic demographic and then you know when things kind of finished up at sanctuary lakes i was like you know i was at one of those kind of crossroads uh and i thought eh, you know do i want to keep working in melbourne you know i'm working with some better players Uh, you know, I was getting, I'd done a couple of trips to Asia already, just small coaching trips. And I'd also had a number of friends over here who were saying, you know, you've got to try it. You know, there's good opportunities, rah, rah, rah. And, uh, and ultimately I did start coming over to actually do some business conferences in Asia, almost at the same time I was coaching. I had a friend who's based in Japan. He said, come over and do these business conferences, They're golf business conferences, and that was kind of interesting. You know, there was one in Malaysia I went to. There was one in Thailand, which I actually presented at as well. And, um, and I, I think just through kind of dipping my toe in the water, I, I did a trip to China. I did a trip to Singapore. I did a trip to Malaysia. I did a trip to um, Korea. And then a position you know, came up in Malaysia. or I had a, 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 an academy that had approached me. And that was ultimately, you know, the tipping point for me. At, at that point, I would say I was already ready. You know, I'd looked enough in Asia, I'd spoke to enough people, I was already mm. ready. I just hadn't figured out which country. Yep. And uh, the decider for me is that in Malaysia, you don't need to speak a different language. Yes. In Singapore, you don't need to speak a different language. There was a couple of countries that were on my radar where I thought, uh, I, think I, could, I think I could live there and it wouldn't be as, you know, as daunting to me from a language barrier standpoint. So so kind of roundabout way of telling you that I think I'd had a, not had enough of Melbourne, but I was looking for something that um, was uh, like the next challenge, if you like.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: not that I wasn't having success in Melbourne. In fact, the year I left was the year that I'd won a Victorian teacher of the year, which is, you know, it's, it's a nice accolade. So that was um you know, a nice thing to be uh, honored for, you know, through some of the work I'd done with those players I mentioned and and other students, Mm. but yeah, ultimately, I guess I was looking to see, um, what I could do outside of Australia Mm -hmm. and yeah, Malaysia happened to be the the spot I landed in.
0: And it sounds like you're not regretting the move. Um, you know, very busy over there and you're still enjoying it over in Mm. Asia.
1: Yeah. So one of the things that I didn't anticipate is that I wouldn't really be in Malaysia that much. Um, uh, as you kind of mentioned, it turned out that I, um, you know, I was able to kind of spread my wings, um, throughout uh, Southeast Asia and, and I guess greater Asia, if you include Korea, Japan, uh, India. Um, but ultimately I do do a lot of business within, uh, ASEAN, So the Southeast Asian nations and, um, yeah, but it's, it's been nice to be able to move around and, and work with some different students in different parts, but I'm definitely trying to condense things a little bit more now.
0: Yeah, for sure. And you mentioned earlier you, you, you were very successful with some, some elite amateurs and some elite players back in Australia. Mm. That was, you know, 10, 10 years ago, was it now? How long ago was that? Yeah,
1: yeah. I guess it would be mid-2000s mm. to
0: late 2000s. Yeah, and yeah, Kieran, Kieran and Stacey, you mentioned, had amazing amateur careers and, and, and turned yeah. pro and, and, you know, got off to a great start there. I find it interesting yeah. because uh, you did so well with them and I spoke to Kieran actually recently on the podcast. And he mentioned that he came and spoke to you or saw you a little bit when he made his return to golf only a few years mm. ago. So your philosophy in golf, has did that change in coaching? Obviously, you probably learned a lot more over the last 10 years. Mm. So t- take us through the first time you spoke and worked with Kieran to the, the recent time. Mm. And what changes yeah. did you sort of have in your coaching yeah. or your arsenal to help?
1: it's funny the the more recent stuff is more foggy to me than the early stuff um you know the early stuff you know he was uh very young obviously 18 maybe 19 at at the most and um uh, you know i th- i think back then it was very simple um what i remember working with him on you know there was some if you t- if you go into technique there was some club face um You know, I'm going to give a lot of credit back to the student right now, Uh, and I I can remember this very vividly. Back when Kieran came, I probably had five, I'd say young, you know, young juniors his age. You know, I'd say 17 to 20, who I thought were all, you know, had had a lot of potential. Um, Now, as a very young coach, very green, you know, I couldn't tell who had game and who didn't have game. I was just, you know, it it was each one on their merits, and and even now we don't know 100% what you know, what the future is. So, but I remember there was one other boy I thought, See, this, this kid's like, he's really going to, he's going to be good, right?
3: Mm.
1: And I remember going out and watching Kieran the first time playing because he used to go to some amateur events and it might have been a Vic Am or whatever. And, and you know, he was doing well. Uh You know, he had some decent finishes and, you know, he was playing this Vic Am and he was down like three down through, you know, with nine holes to play. And he just came back and absolutely murdered this guy, right? Just... <laughs> Bulldog, you know, yep. birdie down the stretch and just cleaned him up with like, you know, one or two holes to play. And my thought, my first thought was, fuck, like this kid's got balls, like he can play. Yeah. And I think that's when I realized, you know, as a young coach, okay, there's, there's a lot of different, there's a lot of different things that make up, you know, that level of player that I mm-hmm. hadn't really dealt with before. Because, you know, we, you know, a lot of our um, instruction takes place in the lesson tee. And uh, and that really opened up my eyes. Not so much to, you know, what I've changed from here to there, but like what the what the player brings to the table.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And you know, if I went through the the stuff I worked on, on it, it's quite boring, right? You know, we fixed some club face conditions because it was extremely shut. Um, he used to get a little little more tilted in the backswing than what I liked, and we're always trying to get him to move a little bit um, back and away, just to kind of balance things out. And I don't think that's anything different than what I. Would look at now. Um, I think I would do things uh, a little. Um, how could I, I? think I'd get to the source of the issue a little faster now.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, I
1: don't think I'd be like tiptoeing around and doing it like. Not that i Not that I'd do it faster now. I just think I'd come up with the um, uh, analysis a lot more easily. You mm-hmm. know, my diagnosis would be a little bit sharper, but I'd still come up with the same. You know, type of uh, of idea. <clears throat> In saying that, from a technical standpoint, yeah, it's definitely changed. I'm a lot more freer in how I like to see the hips move in the backswing. Mm -hmm. I would say, um, you know, the way that I look at, say, a pivot would be more centered than what I would look at before. Mm -hmm. Um, The dynamics of the downswing, I think I'm a little bit better at explaining that and understanding it and just generally, you know, how I see the the swing shape. Um, But I wouldn't necessarily say that um, what I would have told Kieran Back then would be different to now. I think it would be it'd be very similar, and um, and what I worked on with him, you know, going forward, which was maybe five years down the track. It's mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's hard to, to. I think it's very. You know, just speaking to you off air there. I think it's um, it's very tough to talk about that as far as how I was able to help him because I think he was very different as well in his mindset. You know, when I helped him back then. My feeling is he was, um, he used to take in information back then in small doses. And I think he took it back then in what he felt like he could use. Like he didn't take the whole, you know, jar of pills that, that was given to him, which I kind of respected. And I think also back then he was very fearless in how he played. That'd be one thing I would say. What I did notice like full circle is, and I, I wouldn't, I'm not going to say this is from me because I can only, you know, talk talk to you about how I helped him up to that point. Mm-hmm. I felt like he knew a lot more when he came to me,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but not necessarily did that make him like play better. Sure. Um, so I think the information that he had was a lot deeper, but I wouldn't necessarily say he was playing with the same amount of freedom. Right. So what I kind of looked at there was trying to... um I mean, like anything, I'd look at what his ball flight was doing, look at his shot pattern and trying to get him to move in a way that would, you know, tighten that up or improve it. Now, his view might be a little bit different because, you know, everything is, uh, you know, is through your own lens. But at least that's the way I sort of, um, the way I, I kind of seen it. And I did feel like his zest or passion for the game was not at the same level as what I remember at, you know, 19, 20, 21 when he, when he played with Tiger, you know, at, the, at that mm. big open that time, which was pretty cool. Um, it was just very different. Yeah.
0: Yeah. He touched on that. Um, when we spoke, he, he touched on the fun of the game and the love for the game. Yeah. Um, he, he, he loved the competition. So if there was someone in front of him, like you mentioned um, with the match play and, and his amateur career, a lot of the, a lot of the amateurs play a lot of match play. So if he had Mm. someone in front of him, he was like, I'm going to kill you today. I'm going to beat you today. And it brought out the best of him. But for Mm. him to practice by himself for a lot of hours and and play tour golf, which is a very lonesome sport. And he even mentioned when you're playing a golf tournament, there's 150 guys around you, but there's no, you're just swimming in a a fishbowl. That's what he, I think he mentioned. So I don't think the love for the game, I don't don't want to speak for him. Um, These are sort of his words though. It was more like, well, the love for the game, I don't think he had it like internally. Yeah. And so Correct. that, that yeah. makes it tough when, when you have to spend so many hours, you know, playing and practicing the game. If, if you don't in love with it, it's going to be hard to yeah. continue, which, and I spent, I spoke to him about it and said, well, you got to the point where you noticed that and, and you didn't keep going. You, you just said, you know what? That was not it for me. So I respected yeah. that decision too, but uh, he, what, what career he had was pretty cool. I mean, he was one of the best, he's got one of the best amateur records on file. Right. And he won on the agent until what second year out. So mm, um, absolutely, yeah. like he said, he could have been anything, but he doesn't regret what he's, what he's done and what he hasn't done. So. Um, yeah, I,
1: I, I completely agree with what you said and what he said as far as what I felt through him. Mm. Um, I did feel like when he came back to me, he was kind of searching a little bit, but I didn't feel that the fire was there. And I think it doesn't matter what information you tell someone, you know if you, you you can't change someone's mindset to that extent if it's already set you know if they're missing home if they're struggling with travel if they've got if they're missing home because they've got you know their partner or their family and it's a re, it's a real challenge for them there's always going to be something that ultimately um, is going to restrict them to kind of go after it and if that mm. passion's died off plus you've got other things pulling you away i think that's that's a real struggle you know, the the flip side of that was Stacy, who I work with, was just, you know, not with the same level of uh, talent, you would say, as Kieran, you know, a lot of things that you had to guide her with and help her with, had to be kind of built, you know, you had to kind of build her swing, you had to kind of build her mindset, you had to kind of, you know, the the small wins that she had, and the small successes were her fuel to get to that next level, whereas Kieran was already like, I'm going to freaking kill you today. Like, regardless, like it was already there. Yeah. Just that kind of dogged mindset, which, you know, I met, I spoke about this in a a, uh, webinar we did uh, a week or so ago for some of the Singapore. You know, I think with some students, it's built in, like it's programmed. They have that internal like drive and Mm. not so much drive as in, you know, that they want to do well. It's like their mentality is they're going to beat you. Mm. And, you know, whether they're at that level or not, And then you have some others who I'd say Stacey, whereas she had to have the the victories and, you know, shoot a couple under par to realize, oh, I can do this. You know, it wasn't like I can do this beforehand. She had to kind of see the results. And that's, I don't don't know that any one mindset is better than the other because at the end of the day, you still have to work to get to that level. And that's Mm. something that Stacey had a little bit over Kieran um you know she would do absolutely anything for the longest period of time until you know the machine broke down and she couldn't do it anymore
0: yeah yeah i got it and yeah kieran was interesting he, he described it as he would love a motivator like he, he he wanted that he wanted that footy coach to come in and you know spray him so he can go off and and you know right. take that aggression out right so um right you know as you said that he's got that yeah, that skill or that talent already you just needed someone to sort of shake him and say, okay, off you go, you know, right. go and get it. Um, and, and that can't last, can it? I mean, if you've got that, no, you know, over 10, so. 20, 30 years of playing golf, you just, it just won't last, will you?
1: No, you're absolutely right. It won't last. I'd say it's, you know, there's going to be some, it's a bit of a ticking time bomb of when it, you know, the, the fire gets, you know, it gets mm. uh, put out. Versus if it's, if it comes from inside, it can burn, you know, Bernard Langer it can burn forever You <laughs> know, when it comes from the inside. Yeah. Yeah. When it comes from something else, you know, it's another person that you're trying to beat. Well, as soon as you beat them, then, you know, if there's not something else there, it can die off. And I think that was kind of the case with Kieran. He definitely had some fuel there and he definitely loved to play, but ultimately when some of, when he ticked some of the boxes, it was like, uh, you know, what, there's nothing else to tick anymore. And, um, you know, I we could all do better. And I think that's experience. I was going to say we can all do a better job of that. But I think it is the experience of the coach. Okay, when that student comes, like I've got a student like that now in Malaysia. He's the best amateur in Malaysia. He reminds me a lot of Kieran. Like he needs to be kicked, punched, pushed, told. Um, it still is a concern because I think ultimately is that, Still not going to be enough because it's not, mm. you know, coming from the inside. But,
3: mm.
1: but I wouldn't have known how to deal with that student if I wouldn't have had like a Kieran, for example, you know, yeah. in the past. I would have just tiptoed around and said everything's okay. But now, you know, when when he's talking smack and he's not putting it in, I know that I can, you know, give him the uppercut and tell <laughs> him, you know, you've got to lift, son. You know, you've got to do this, this, and this. Otherwise, you're wasting it. Like I'm not afraid to tell a student now, you're wasting your time. Mm. Um, doing this, and if you don't pick it up, you might as well, you know, go and you know work for Dad's business or, you know, mm. study more and find a trade or whatever. Because I think we both know now what it takes. Like you can't mess around when you're trying to get on the PGA Tour. Mm. You can't mess around when you're trying to get onto the Asian Tour or the Japanese Tour. You know, these guys aren't messing around. They're they're all in, and if you're only half in or you know three quarters in, you're gonna get found out mm. at some point.
0: And they all love it, don't they? I mean, most of these top 10 guys, um, most of them love it and they can't wait to to get out there and produce their golf and practice their golf.
1: Absolutely. I would say, um, yeah, I mean, there's always exceptions to the rule, but yeah, they're, uh, they're on full tilt the whole time. I mean, Tiger, I mean, the amount of time he must still put in to get his body ready each week, you know, to get himself back in shape from someone who couldn't walk, that's... That's another level of, um, you know, um, what's the word I'm going to use? Um, I heard this used a little while ago. I was going to say desperation, but um, obsession. It's an obsession at that level. Mm. I think those guys are so obsessed. You know, Bryson's so obsessed at the moment with what he's trying to do with his body and hit it long. And when you get to that level of obsession, you'll do anything, you know, until something Breaks down or something, you know, cause you to stop.
0: Yeah, you mentioned Bryson. We we should talk about him because <laughs> <laughs> I think he's put on 13 kilos. He's now, I think it's, he's he's driving around 340 yards, yeah. 190 mile an hour ball speed. I mean, these are long drive sort of figures and he's got a five and a half degree drive going. Right. What's this? So it's one What's what is this?
1: 110, 110 kilos or something like that, right? from from 92 or 3 or whatever it was yeah Uh, yeah. that's
0: insane absolutely ridiculous yeah it's 110 kilos and he just looks like he's long driving every hole
1: yes exactly
0: (laughs) i mean this is the pj tour here we're talking about not some sort of long drive contest but that's what he seems like he wants to be doing
1: (laughs) yeah and what was he He was 14 he was one back right on the the tournament just yeah
0: yeah he was hitting most fairways i think (laughs) Mm. So I think he in the third round he missed a lot of putts, so he could have been it could have been anything for him. But yeah. um,
1: well I I haven't looked at his stats closely enough, you know, this tournament. But from what I what I've seen, at least from last year stuff, it does seem like it's definitely not his long game that would you know that would hold him back to win some of these. You know, it's definitely more on the green. So yeah. sounds like if he gets that figured out with strokes gained off the tee. Yeah, it it could get um it could get pretty tough for the others, <laughs> with yeah, that length yeah, advantage.
0: I, yeah, I think he's a whole full shot. I think stroke gained um most of the, most up of that. Yeah, which right. is quite Makes fascinating. Sense. But when you've got a five and a half degree driver, I'm not sure what you what you think of that. But that that's going to cause you to hit more up on it, if if I'm not mistaken. Or... Yeah.
1: Well, I guess is is the balance between speed and loft. So I'm not that versed in what the long drive lofts are, but I'm pretty sure they that's under eight. I don't mm. think they're using loft drivers that are more than eight because of the speed element. And obviously they have to keep the spin down and mm. the loft down somehow. So I think he's just matching up to, you know, what's optimized for him. Mm. And obviously he's a smart guy. He's, he seems like he's the most uh, detailed guy there as far as like knowing his numbers and all that sort of stuff. So I'm sure he's done the math and figured out that that's the drive that optimizes his carry. The most and potential role,
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean, I'm loving it. I mean, <laughs> I love yeah. watching it. So I hope he continues to do it. It will be interesting to see what happens with it. But um, yeah, well, watch this space, I guess, with him. But but that leads me on to so your philosophy with staying centered in the hip um, extension and, and so forth with your players is that come around with TrackMan um, data in terms of um, impact zones and and sort of getting to an, an understanding of impact. Um, over the years, has that sort of generated a little bit more of how you like to see a golf swing? No,
1: not at all. No, I wouldn't say it's got anything to do with track man. I mean, my, my idea of the pivot, uh, you know, staying centered, it's really just an evolution of having a better understanding of how the body moves. So, you know, when I, and you, you're, how much younger are you than me? I'm
0: thirty-five. I'm (laughs) 35. Okay. We'll
1: say, we'll say, we'll say 15 years. Yeah. So, you know, when, when I was teaching and you would have cut the same information, you know, a lot of it was about, um, trail leg flexion, keeping the trail leg flexed. Um, you know, the pivot, you know, it could be centered. It could move a little bit off, whatever. Um, but basically it was more about keeping body parts restricted Mm
2: -hmm.
1: as a mechanism for creating speed and kind of maximum distance. So, which is fine, you know, that, that's something that, you know, I think we all taught at a certain level. A lot of my early recollection was from a lot of what the Jim McLean X Factor uh, backswing move was teaching. And that's kind of what we went with. And, um, but I guess going forward, like learning more about how the body moves, that was really just understanding uh, a turning component of the body. It was understanding a little bit of the lateral movement of the body. Um, but there wasn't really the third element, which I've got a better understanding of now, which is the extension piece of the body. And as you know, in order to create maximum leverage, you know, when you look at the long drivers, you know, sometimes they're launching themselves up, not just lower body, but upper body mm. and even neck, and they're creating ma- massive leverage from, you know, extending, flexing, and extending back. Um, now, whether you see that in smaller amounts with the lower body, you see it in larger amounts with the upper body or the neck, it's it's definitely happening as a mechanism for creating more leverage, potential speed and force. So for me, it was understanding, okay, when someone extends in the backswing a lot, you know, it moves the spine more central versus if they just turned in flexion, which would move it more across. So just understanding how these different pieces work. Um, you know, if you look at, the work done by Andy Plummer and Mike Bennett over the years—they talk very clearly about how the body moves in three dimensions. So it's not really anything new, I would say. It's just something that I didn't have a as good of an understanding, or really a, a clear understanding of, you know, when I was coaching early on. I mean, I could certainly see if the body uh, tipped left and extended this way. I could certainly see if it turned more and moved this way. But I wouldn't say I, I would be able to describe it or even teach it as well as what I can teach uh, now or at least explain and uh, and influence now with how my students move.
0: So the, the X factor compared to what you just explained is that to get yeah. more power with more accuracy. Is that the reason behind it all?
1: I can't speak enough for exactly why in that pure sense, but I do know from what I watched, read, learned back in the day, the X factor in the backswing as in, Keeping the trail leg flexed and turning the upper body against that was to try and create as much um, separation between the lower and the upper body in other words if if I keep my trail leg flexed at forty and I turn my torso a hundred, that creates you know a bigger separation. I think of what we've learned over the years that isn't as important as creating a stretch in the downswing right so ultimately, what we 're trying to do in the downswing is create. You know, as as a mechanism again for creating separation and potential uh, leverage, where where and um, I guess you could say, uh, his name just kind of slipped me. Works with uh, Sean Foley, um, Cameron Champ, creates a huge stretch in transition. Now whether he, whether he lengthens his trail leg a little bit on the way back or he does it a lot. Um, at the end of the day, he creates a huge stretch going back, which means as his upper body starts to turn, his lower body's still, you know, staying somewhat um, closed off. And for right. him, he's able to create a huge stretch. I'm not, I'm not saying that that is the only way to do it, but that would be, I guess, the theory behind, um, let's say, an X-factor stretch.
0: Right. And do you think it prevents injury as well? Or are you not sure how deep that goes?
1: Uh, I think it's person to person. But what mm. I do know is if you look at the the knee joint, it's basically a flexion, a flexion and extension joint. You know, like the like mm. the like the elbow. It's not. I'm not. It's not meant to twist or turn against something. Or at least, if it does, that can cause stress on the joint.
3: Mm.
2: So, if
1: I keep my knee facing you, and I try and create as much like internal rotation as possible, and I can only get let's say twenty degrees, the only way I can get any more is to either torque at the knee which can create stress, uh, because I might not be able to get as much through my thorax. So does it create uh, stress on the knee? Potentially, yes. And I think it really depends on person to person. If you looked at Jason Day, could you argue that's created stress on his knee? I don't know his the main reason for his injuries over the years, but I, I wouldn't use that as a long-term model um for my students at least you know if they're trying to get more talk through the hip I'd release the hip joint if they're unable to get it through let's say the internal rotation of the hip they may need to actually release the knee more which releases the hip more and obviously allows them to get more range in that sense
0: so in progression from the x sort of factor to what you're doing now what are you seeing the most mm-hmm. benefit out of your students in both ball, ball striking are you seeing what are you seeing high ball flights better striking Less curvature, um, freer movements.
1: Yeah, I would I would definitely say with more freedom of movement, they can create generally more range or length in the backswing. And it's not that all backswings have to be longer to hit it further. Um, and also, I would say on the flip side, if you talk about the forward movement, you know, being able to uh, turn better in the backswing, you know, have some amount of forward movement. Uh, create more pressure going down into the ground also creates more of a kind of upward extended movement on on the through swing. So I think there's both ends that we're looking at there. It's not just the backswing um, Mm -hmm. that potentially just helps them to move more freely and potentially create more speed. And I wouldn't say I'm necessarily just teaching my students to hit it as far as possible. I'd say it's definitely a, a, definitely a blend of accuracy. Um, You definitely can't, play on the Asian tour or certainly a major tour if your club speed's under 110 mm. 112 would be considered quite slow these days so yeah being able to move the club up around the 115 for a, you know an elite male is pretty important especially if they want to move beyond you know let's say um a tour in Asia or something like that
0: yeah fantastic yeah, so I want to talk a little bit about your online um, involvement too. I mean, you've got over 50,000 Instagram followers, um, which I think is um, amazing. So did you, did you feel like that was a bit of a timing v- plus your work within Instagram that created that? Um, how, how did you sort of generate that many followers with, through Instagram?
1: So f- firstly, with regards to timing, I thought I was late. Um, when i started using it uh it was probably two two and a half years ago i think maybe something like that i thought oh all these other guys are killing it
0: was that all uh, two and a half years ago is that all it was
1: yeah it was uh, like i I did a coaching summit uh, a few years back let me tell you uh, let me just check that actually Hmm. i'll try and find the exact date um so it was actually 2016 in February. So we're talking.
2: <laughs> wow.
1: It's actually four years, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, time flies. So I remember, I remember uh, attending that, uh, that conference, that summit. Mm. And when I left that, I was like, okay, I need to get better at my social media. Mm. So that was actually four years ago to date. Um, yep. But back then, and I'll just throw off three names that I can remember. And there was uh, Andreas Kali. Who's, uh, who's a good friend of mine. Mm. Uh, There's George Gankus mm-hmm. uh, and there was a guy named Jeff Ritter. Those are yeah. just three that came to mind, I'm sure. And I remember those, those guys had something like five, six, 8,000 followers, something like that mm. could have even been a bit less. And I was like, whoa, that's like, that's pretty big.
2: Yeah.
1: And, and I just started, you know, I'd, I'd used it. I had a couple of pictures of, you know, me goofing off. And maybe one golf picture. I had no idea, and I just thought, well, obviously, you know, these guys are using it, and no one was really looking at Instagram that much from a golf instruction standpoint at the time. And I just thought, okay, from from this day on, I'm just going to produce. Um, I think I said four pieces of content a day mm. for Instagram. It might have been two. I think I think back then it was three or four, and that's really all I started doing. And and my main my main thought process is just to start to document what I'm doing. From day to day and i was coaching a lot back then working with students um i didn't really i didn't really have an idea of um exactly how i was going to use it except that i'll just start to put out i'd also done a whole bunch of um uh, magazine articles for different, uh, magazines at the time. Cause back then, you know, we were doing that sort of stuff. We we're doing <laughs> magazine articles. <laughs> That's right. It's <laughs> just, sounds crazy. Wr- um, written media
0: is dying in the ass, Written
1: media. Yeah, I was doing it. Um, mm-hmm. so I was doing different written media for uh, electronic magazines. Um, mm. I think, I think it was golf magazine Asia, and there was a couple of others uh, in Malaysia. And so I just took all the, all the cool pictures and I'd started posting those and I did some putting ones and chipping ones. And, and that and that was kind of how I started it. And it evolved a little bit into what I like to use it for now, which is documenting uh, students' journeys, before and afters, um, some tutorials that, um, you know, that I produce for students, um, some live stuff during lessons that I'll produce and you know, some occasional quotes. And look, in- instructors now are using it in all different ways, you know, some are just purely as education. Some are just purely, um, you know, documenting their lessons. Hmm. You know, some are just purely swings, some are just purely short games, but yeah, my, my main idea was just to start to get my information out there. And I think because even though I felt I was late in reality, there still wasn't a lot of instructors doing a lot of stuff. So obviously if all the eyes and ears are on, let's say 10 guys, but I'm sure there was a lot more than 10 mm. versus now we could probably say there's a thousand good pages, mm-hmm. we could probably say there's more. Then all of a sudden you don't quite grow as much. Um, now there's still guys out there growing using different uh, strategies and tactics. I've still tried to st- try to stick with what, what I do from day to day and, and mm. who I am and how I've evolved as an instructor. And sometimes that becomes a bit more swing centric. Sometimes it's some short game stuff, sometimes it's some success my students have. I haven't tried to look at necessarily how can I grow anymore. I've just mm. let that be organic, and you know sometimes it does grow, and sometimes it doesn't grow, but um mm. it's definitely been a good platform to get an understanding out there of what I do to the masses, and um, yeah, know, I think a lot of people respect that. They just respect like how you communicate your style. Uh, if mm. they looked at what I was doing three years ago, they would see a little bit of an evolution on different areas, maybe a bit of an evolution of how I communicate, um, how I teach certain areas of the game. Uh, but ultimately, hopefully, it still gives a good understanding of the fact that I'm a coach and you know, I like to be fairly well-rounded. I like to teach all areas. Um, obviously, in recent times, it's become a bit more of the remote space but, you know, that'll, that'll shift and pivot a little bit as well, I'm sure.
0: Yeah, well, it's a, it's a, it's a perfect marketing tool, isn't it? For any, any golf coach who are running a business. I mean, not only that, but totally. you getting an understanding of, of who you are as a person and a coach. And, and it's such a personal thing getting a golf coach. So when someone, when someone comes to you who already knows a bit about you and what you do, it makes it so much easier to, to kick off when, when you don't have to sort of try and yeah. sell yourself on the tee.
1: I Completely agree,
0: hmm.
1: and the the thing that I would also add to that is I think it's important that you're putting yourself out there on on any social media platform. When eventually that student wants to see you, maybe they sign up with you, maybe it's remote or maybe it's you know in person, which obviously happens. They're really knowing what they're getting before they come to see you. You know they understand how you talk. They understand you know, what your level of English is like, as in, you know, obviously I'm from Australia, so, you know, I have a strong accent. Can they even understand me? You know, there's a lot of things that we probably don't, we kind of take for granted a little bit. But yeah, if I, if I had a very difficult accent to understand, if it was very aggressive and fast, there's going to be a certain amount of students be like, I can't really understand Stephen, so I'm probably not going to go and see him for a lesson. So I think there's there's so many things, if you go really deep, that, Um, we probably don't think about as much, but yeah, how you come across and even like the, the message you deliver, I think can go a long way into, you know, what you get back as far as a student, you know, be that a better player, be that a junior, that's going to come to you because they see that you work with high level juniors, like a James Jordan. You know, there's a lot of things there that, um, we have to be mindful of when we're putting information out there, you know, over a long period of time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And what would you say your percentage of remote coaching is now? compared to on the T on live on the T not excluding uh, the breakdown of, of the shutdown, ex- exclude that. What do you think generally is oh, your breakdown?
1: Oh, so but before COVID?
0: Yeah. Remember? Before COVID.
1: So before COVID it was probably 20% remote coaching and mm. 80% face to face.
0: Yeah. Do you yeah. think that has a potential of growing? Or do you, do you I, think I, you'll keep it like that? Yeah.
1: I, um, do I think I'll go back to like 90, 10, well, do you, do you think
0: do you think from 80-20, you probably get closer to 50-50? Close Is that the way you want to take it? Or do you think people are going to be more interested in remote learning after what they've yeah. gone through? Or do you think it, you like to keep it at 80-20, just purely based on um, the fact that you can't see the, the, the student maybe go on the golf course yeah. with them, all that sort of thing?
1: I think it will shift back to 50-50, only because in my situation, a lot of my students that are Taken up remote coaching are actually my students already. Okay, they're just based in different countries. Oh. Um, without a doubt, the percentage of my remote coaching has uh, it has changed a lot because of the current situation. And I've been able to, I think, just by the fact that you know students are unable to go to the golf course as much and maybe see their coach, and they've thought, oh, okay, well, I'll, I'll try this. You know, it's becoming, I think, like anything. 10 years ago, we wouldn't put a credit card into a computer because, you know, of all fraudulent. And now we'll just, we'll, we'll save our credit card in hundreds of websites and Mm. we feel very safe, even though we've probably all had one issue over time or (laughs) an experience. I think that that public perception has changed because of, um, I think also because of, the the students are actually seeing that they can make change online not just with their own games but they're seeing other examples maybe they've looked at me maybe they've looked at some other cool before and afters and they've seen the timeline so they think well i can do this at home it's not as um one-sided as in face to face it's not just that's not just the only way and i actually can get results if it's explained correctly so i think that that public perception has changed Mm. and students can give it a go. Now they can give it a go for 10 to 20 US dollars for a lesson if they want,
2: Mm. for
1: one off. So that's a very low entry. Um, And if they have a good experience, they go, okay. And they can also do it for 400 US, You know, if they wanna do like a monthly program. And I think now that it's more widely accepted, we're getting more and more students. So just by that nature, I think we're also, everyone's seeing a little bit of an uptick um, in saying that I don't think it's going to go completely to one side, you know, it, mm. it has to shift back, um, mm. just because at least from my experience, you know, I'm going to go back to face, uh, to coaching face to face. So, uh, and some of those students are going to be seeing me face to face. So there's no need for them to do that. But, um, there's certainly some instructors that are really killing it in that space you know, making more than a hundred thousand, um, a year just doing remote coaching. So this it's certainly, uh, it's certainly there.
3: Mm-hmm. And that's
1: not even including online courses, um, membership sites, which, you know, some coaches are obviously uh, occupying that space and doing extremely well from there. Also, we're just talking about, you know, remote, uh, personal face, uh, remote personal coaching, I would say.
0: Yeah. I mean, technology makes a lot easier these days as well, but uh, I mean, back in the day, if you said remote coaching, I'll be like, well, that's not, that's impossible almost. But you know, people like Mm. yourself have made me aware that it is very possible. And, and an example of that is Mia Baker that you've started Mm. working with. Um, She's a cool example of what you you can do remotely in a short period of time. Um, I think for people listening, Mia, is it Mia M I A E L L A X on Instagram. Yeah. And uh, I think you've gone to the Mia project. Yeah. And uh, I would love to delve into that. You've been kind enough to sort of share some um, footage uh, of her mm-hmm. and your progression with her. So I might share the screen with you now, and we want to talk about how you you sort of got her to the stage she's at now. I think you've only been with her six months, from from what I gather.
1: Uh, we've done. We started on the basically the end of March, so I guess you could say two and a half months.
0: Oh well, so is that about- all?
1: 10, 10, 12, 12 weeks or something like that in.
0: yeah. And she was a pure Much, beginner when she sort of started seeing you online?
1: Yeah, so she first picked up a club on, in November last year. Right. She went to the range a bunch of times. She had a couple of periodic lessons. And so when, I, when she first came to me in March, she'd basically, yeah, she'd had a club in her hand since November. So wow. what you could say that's uh, five months or so. So it's a pretty raw.
0: <laughs> mm, yeah. I mean, she's uh, looking on Instagram, she's hitting it mid. So you've done, you've done a fantastic job. Yeah. So I want to talk about how you did it. Sure. No, so let's, uh, yeah. yeah. So let's you wanted
1: see. me to do, to dive into some of her early or let's say one of her early.
0: Yes, things, please. I, I guess,
1: yes. please. Um, right. This is not sorry. That's something Oh. want trying to find uh you you keep asking me something else and then i'll come back to yeah, this. yeah that's I'm right. just trying to I'm well trying I, to find I think one of her.
0: i think it shows you your ability in in terms of simple communication um i mean it, you know, you've coached right. for over 20 years i think your ability to get to the point and stick with what she needs to do um is evident in what yep. you're doing so Um, Communication. What what other sort of areas you think are really um, substantial in trying to get a student from sort of beginner level to on the golf course as quick as possible?
1: So that's pretty much the next phase. I'd say also for Mia, it's it's going from. Just trying to get these videos up here. It's going from, you know, she's doing a pretty decent job at home on the mat, and what we're now looking to do is transition her firstly onto grass which she's doing, you know, she's having some success there. And then the second one is to try and get her there to understand how to translate that onto, um, you know, different varying situations, which the golf course presents. I mean, I, I, I probably like to go a little bit too slow. Should I share my screen now? Yeah, let's do it. I'll 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 throw this original one up there. Um, Okay. That one. So you could just see that one mm. video of her, no doubt. Yes. Um so yeah, the progression for me is you know, I've I've tried to take things pretty slowly with with her with her development and, and really start off with like short shots, developing impact.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um I've always put attention on how her body's moving from day one. I've tried to give her drills around that. And um and then slowly I've started to encourage her, okay, if you can. Unfortunately, this is not her house, so she can't just go and whack balls off the grass and chew it all up. So, (laughs) you know, occasionally she'll sneak one off there, but Mm. she's got to be a little bit careful. Um, Yeah. Yeah, so... But I am trying to get her to progress to hitting shots off the grass and just understand that it that also takes some time because, you know, when you hit off grass, you don't get the forgiveness of the mat. You start to respond a little bit to that and, you know, you could also start to kind of sneak back. So I'm always trying to get very... Um, very picky with her going back to you know what she's doing with her basic motion you know the basic mm-hmm. motion of her hands and arms the basic motion of her her body so I'm not sure exactly what you wanted me to uh to go over with this but this was her her original swing mm-hmm. um, wow. so there's a lot of stuff going on this was a very interesting position to me as mm. she came into impact you know we typically call that as a throw or a cast where the club is you know fully straight way before impact
3: Mm -hmm.
2: Um,
1: clearly she still hit the ball Um, a lot of funky stuff going on here with their lower body and and arms so you know when I looked at that originally um, I actually looked at it and thought well she actually moves through the ball pretty well with her body you know (laughs) there's not there's that not that many beginners that can extend and keep their hips that far forward so she, she's either has a little bit of innate sense of that or she got told that or whatever.
0: Yeah. Um, she did such a good with, job of trying to, you know, hold off that left, uh, left wrist to try and get that impact. Didn't she? She did like yeah. that bent elbow just to try and get impact. So there's a little That's bit right. of talent in that, isn't it?
1: There's something there. Yeah. And, mm. and, and, And I think it's fair to say, you know, when we see a student for the first time, we as experience, you know, getting more experienced as coaches, we kind of pick up on some of those instincts. We go, okay, there's something there. Mm. And sometimes we see it, we are like, oh, there's, you know, we we have to do more work to kind of get them going. Mm. So yeah, it was definitely my thought. I'm like, okay, there's something there, but she obviously lacks, you know, any decent structure to her backswing with her, I'd say her lower and upper body, how that moves. Mm -hmm. And she doesn't really, any width you know everything's just kind of folding and bending Mm -hmm. and normally that just leads to a you know a a bounce back effect where you know it's just going to extend and straighten out early so we see that kind of fold and extension of the of a trail arm so a Mm -hmm. lot of what we did was just getting an understanding of how the arms work uh, getting an understanding of uh, how her wrist would work and and slowly building on that with with a different move with her lower body
0: so did you, did you do a plan up? Would you say, look, this is what we're going to do. We're going to work on this, 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 and this over the next couple of months. And we're going to start with this. Is that the sort of communication or you just give her one thing at a time and don't really indulge her in the, in the process?
1: I, I don't get too much in the process as far as we're going to do this, this week and this next week. Cause I never really know if they can do it or not. Mm-hmm. And I also never really know if they can handle what I'm telling them um, both From a communication standpoint and also just from a physical standpoint as in can they do it or not Mm -hmm. so she might come back to me like for example when i gave her her first three things to work on which was her left hand right hand position and how to move her left arm and wrist and how to move her right arm and wrist and a pivot drill there's kind of three things which i i kind of split up she performed them Pretty well, I would say eighty percent. So straight away, I was like, okay, this is a good start. Now, I, I might have a very similar type of beginner and tell them the same thing, but I need to do three, four, five revisions before they're able to get to that eighty uh, percent proficiency.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So in that in that sense, it might take them five times as long as what it took me. Up. Now, I could mm-hmm. also have a student that does it a hundred percent the first time but I would say pretty common would be uh, three or four um, kind of back and forth before they actually really nail it. And then it's the repetition of the student that ultimately gets them to a pattern that starts to stabilize. Mm-hmm. That's what i found kind of worked um, you know, pretty well for, for me and, and how, I was, um, how I was seeing her progress. So maybe I can bring up one other video here
0: which so was you, so you basically gave this, her that, that pivot drill. Did you, you gave her that yeah. What sort of drill? Did you give her exactly for that? After this, this footage?
1: Uh, I'm not sure. I've got it here. Do you want me to bring up like one of her swings and then maybe describe it with me yeah, sure. in, uh, in a zoom yeah. call? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So when I click on this swing, can you see, let me just bring this other next one up. Okay, so that that's her demonstrating.
0: Yeah, beautiful. Yeah.
1: This was on May
0: fourth.
1: Yeah. So this was on May fourth, and we started on May on March twenty seventh. So it's about a week later. Mm -hmm. And what I would say as well with Mia, and where I think remote coaching can help, especially at, at this kind of really developmental stage, she was literally sending me updates every day. Right. So in that case, she wasn't getting too far off what what we were looking at doing. So this was on, I mentioned May 4th, and this was her demonstrating maybe an impact drill. She's got her weight forward. I was telling her to keep her right arm as straight as possible. Mm -hmm. And we're also doing some work. We were loading her arm and wrist on the downswing. So she was already able to do this. Wow! Yeah, you know, which you could say looks a little bit funky or whatever. But for me, it's it's, pure. it's not really about an end result yet. It's just trying to get some really major pieces in there, and uh, and have her perform them over and over again. This is definitely not my, you know, not how the swing is going to look at the end. I wouldn't have her that far forward. Mm. I wouldn't have her that tilted. I'd have her head in a different position. But I do feel like she did a good job of you know, loading the club, using a lower body in a different way, uh, back mm. and down. And obviously she got the concept of how her lead wrist and trail wrist need to be through the ball.
0: How's that impact um, difference? Oh my God.
1: Yeah, Something that was deep. actually a good one. <laughs> but this is, this is kind of interesting. If I showed you her swing, let's say in week eight, which might've been, let's say into um so this was um i mentioned in around april the 4th oh sorry may may 4th excuse me um so march april uh just let me check the date on that just so i don't i don't uh, tell you guys any so so this was actually may 4th so this would have been uh, a month and a bit afterwards March, April. So I got, mm-hmm. I, I was, I was, I was lying there. <laughs> so this was about, a about five weeks after afterwards. Yeah. Probably two weeks after this, she'd sent me a swing where she'd missed the ball. Right. So it's not, it's not all, you know, perfect. And mm-hmm. it's obviously, we, we didn't go through a clean process, you know, as she started to get longer, sometimes she, she completely missed time shots. So in that, in that sense, it's still. A lot of back and forth, and and trying to improve those things. But one of the, you you can see me back on the screen here now. Yeah. So one of the the early things I got her to do, I'm just to move this out the way. Um, because she had a pretty aggressive like right foot position. Bring that up just a little higher
0: there. So your your early focus is more all about impact right trying to get that impact position in the what you would like to have seen yeah
1: so from my memory the first lesson I gave her I just told her to move her right arm across her chest excuse me left arm across her chest and when she stayed back she had to flex her wrist forward and I was quite specific in showing her how to how to move how the wrist move in the swing Mm -hmm. so you know I explained this and this and this and this and I wanted her to demonstrate that And then her first thing that she had to do was literally just swing her arm back and flex her wrist. And that was it.
3: Mm.
1: And with her right hand, she had to do the same. She had to just swing her right arm back straight. And again, I showed her that her right wrist can do this or this in the swing. Mm -hmm. And literally all I got her to do was swing her right arm back. And then as she swung it forward, she had to bend her wrist back. Right. And she did that. I, I very quickly got her to, um, get a small club cut down. So she had to perform them without a club and then with a club. So literally she was just doing this on day one uh, and that was her homework. And then she'd do it with two hands.
0: Do you, do you explain why to her or, or is that depending on the student, maybe the concept of why that needs to happen?
1: Good question. She wanted to know why. One of the reasons why she struggled with uh, a coach that she went to uh let's say for a few lessons, the coach had said to her in your backswing, uh, throw a bucket of water over your shoulder. And she didn't like that because she didn't know why she should be doing that. Mm -hmm. And she didn't know how it would help her swing. So in in her case, she did want to know exactly why. She said, why would I do that? And I had to explain that it's going to help her with her impact condition. I had to explain when she does this the club would hit the ground too early. She'd either hit behind the ball or she'd top the ball. And, you know, even just something simple like that, I do feel resonated with her. And she was able then to go, okay, that makes sense. And then, mm-hmm. you know, it helped her connect the dots in her head. I just started working with the most raw beginner I've probably ever worked with. Plus online, she started playing golf in May.
2: Wow.
1: And she's from Finland. so. Uh, uh, I won't be posting anything on this uh, unless she she wants me to. But yeah. this is going to be a way way big challenge because it's a bit of a language barrier, mm-hmm. and I can see that she's not quite as coordinated. You know, she's a bit more typical. You know, through the ball, but I'm giving her a similar uh, itinerary or process to work off,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: uh, that'll also be interesting for me. I think it'll be a little bit more challenging. But she does look like a, a fairly sporty lady. Um, and um, not maybe as coordinated as as what we would we would like. So there's going to be some challenges there. And golf, you know, as you know, to play other sports and then go into golf doesn't mean anything. Like it doesn't mm. mean that you're going to be good at golf. So, but that was the first thing I told Mia from a um, arm and wrist standpoint. And the other thing that I did tell her to do, and I can't remember if I did this with a club across the chest or not, but I did also get her to hopefully you can just see my feet there. Yep.
2: yep. I got her
1: with her right foot turned out 45 degrees and I got her uh 60, 40 or even like 70, 30 and basically just showed her how she had to change her knee flex in the backswing, which she wasn't doing before. She Mm -hmm. was just really just, you know, doing her arms this way. And so I told her how to change her knee flex and move her left shoulder somewhat down because she was very, very kind of level and lifting. Mm. And then I also just explained to her from here how she would uh, have her heel in front of her toe. That's all she had to do. She just had to change her knee flex, make sure her heel was in front of her toe. And as she came up, she had to glide her foot up. That pretty much was her body motion drill to start with. And she had to send me that and demonstrate that to me because she was, you know, she was, she was so Mm. much this way. So that was kind of the foundation and and her lower body doesn't look like that. Now it's, it's changed a little bit. Um, But what I would say is my main goal was to get her to understand at least how to turn her hips and move her left shoulder more down. A lot of people struggle with that when they start. And at least to understand a little bit of footwork for her balance, because she was really all over the place in that, in that sense.
0: Yeah, that's, that's really cool. Very simple instruction. Uh, so the, the second part seemed to be, is that building a, a foundation for her speed and for her distance? That seems to be the So the first one was more impact conditions, second part, so, Okay. now we've got to get you into this uh, distance yeah. phase.
1: Um, when you say second part is in like what I'm doing with her now.
0: No, no, even that drill there where you're talking about left yeah. shoulder down, um, you know, yeah. extending that the leg yeah. different yeah. Get, setting up for that length of swing. That's now efficient yeah. enough to come down in, in that position. Absolutely, mm.
1: Yeah, we, we did. I remember probably the first two weeks we did so much work on her right arm and her levers. Cause she was just, you know, just folding her right arm, like so much in the backswing. And at the end of the day, when you have your right arm this folded, it's hard to create any width on the way down. I mean, the club's just going to bounce off, Mm. which is exactly what she was doing. So she wasn't really getting into a position where she could properly load the club coming down. So I, I don't mind in that sense to get students overextended. You know, I don't Mm. mind getting them overstretched because I can always create a little bit of fold and I can always create a little bit of, Um, load on the way down once I've got it there I find it if they're here they're in trouble anyway they're just going to throw that thing out there so that's something that we probably and she was getting quite frustrated with that because we had to talk a bit about in order to move this around she had to actually move her right shoulder around so there was a bit of detail in there Mm. um, which I don't really you know it's tough when you're dealing with a beginner because yeah, these are important things to start to get the swing to go longer, but we're trying to find a very simple way to try and explain it. And mm. um, and then obviously, then they have to be able to perform it. And she's a very detailed person. She's like, I want my swing to be perfect. I'm like, well,
2: yeah. it
1: doesn't matter if your head moves a little bit this way or this way. She's like, it's moving. I'm like, it's okay. <laughs> she's like, it's moving yeah. down. I'm mm. like, it's okay, you know, because everything's just trying to what I would term is get the main parts and pieces in there first. That, that's my main goal to get some dynamics, get the main things working. And as she gets better, you can clean things up. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I've got to find the videos. I literally remember for two weeks, she would go from a square face to the most closed face, to the most open face to the closed face, And I was, and then at one point it was like here, and, I, and it was a little closed, which it's probably been that way for the last two weeks. And I'm just like, I'm not touching it. Like I yeah. don't want to tell her anything, even yeah. if the all goes, down, because I'm 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 a bit worried. Like one small tweak, she would completely, you know, she'll take the whole jar of medicine, and then we're back to square one again. So
0: well, well, yeah. remote coaching. That, that's exactly right. And remote coaching has a little bit of a downfall in terms of you can't physically put them in in that position. You can't. Okay. Well, Correct. you're struggling to understand that. Here's the feel, or you know, mm-hmm. here's where I want you. So in that that's difficult as well. But and the same at the same time, if you're able to communicate it in a way and let them problem solve it, I think long term, mm-hmm. if you look at the literature, that's going to be even a little bit better long term for them for for it to stay yeah. in the in the in the mind.
1: Exactly right. And I, this is where, and I know you've done some study on this as well. This is where my background in NLP, you know, I'm I'm a big proponent of that. I've studied a lot of NLP has kind of really helped, not, not just with remote coaching, but normal coaching, because you could say, well, we're trying to find a certain position in the swing because we know it's going to help them on the way down. So what I've tried to do a little bit with generally with remote coaching, I, I won't ever tell the student to do it one way. I'll normally give them like three. So with Mia, one of the, things that we've been trying to do a little bit better job of recently is, when she, make, when she does her backswing, she moves her left shoulder down so fast, you know, her head dips. So when you look from behind, it's going really down and forward. So what I've told her is, i basically told her this is the general movement that we want, you know, as you go back, the shoulder's gonna turn a bit more level for her. And I might tell someone who comes to me tomorrow a different thing, but for her it's more level. Mm. And then I told her, we're going to do a sequence of three. So you're going to do one where it feels a little bit different. Then you're going to do one where it feels, and normally I just use numbers. So I'll say like a two out of 10. It's not too invasive. The second one's going to feel like it turns about a five out of 10. And the second one's going to feel like it turns almost level or flat after the takeaway. So I'm explaining her when to do it. So from here, now is when you feel it. And then she just sends me all three and I can go, okay, this is about where we want it. And I'll say, we're going to practice a little bit at, at a five to seven feeling for the next few days. And I'll just monitor that. And then when I feel like it's where it's a bit more optimal, I'll tell her now we're just going to narrow in maintenance mode. We don't need to feel that five anymore or seven. Mm. And that's, that has been, one way that you can kind of get the message across, um, you know, be it remote coaching or otherwise. So you start to put, as you said, a little bit more um, awareness back into the student. And it also kind of gives them a sense of what would be too much or too little versus just trying to find, let's say an exact position.
0: Mm. Has has it helped your communication on the, on the, on the live T over the, Internet? a lot
1: a lot, yeah great I, yeah that's mm. yeah it's it's hard for me to explain how much it's actually helped <laughs>
0: mm. yeah, well, yeah great,
1: it's yeah. really changed it's it's really helped, actually, I would say mm. i I would say i'm now I'm now going a lot slower on the lesson t than what I would have before, and I think I'm being a lot more thoughtful and explaining things when I'm trying to get a certain message across more than before, I'm a lot less about. Let's just start hitting balls and a lot more thoughtful about, okay, let's work on this a little bit. Let's try and create a feeling. Let's understand it a little bit more. And then kind of let the student maybe, you know, feed them a few balls. But yeah, I'm not in a rush to get them hitting straight away all the time. Um, certain, mm. certain situations, yes, of course, we want to hit the ball. We need to see things. But, you know, if we're kind of working through something, I wouldn't say I'm in a rush to get them to hit shots um, straight away.
0: Yeah, I've observed you a couple of hours um, while I've been over there, and one thing I've noticed with yourself and any good coach I've seen um, is the efficiency in which you speak and and the calmness of which you go about your your golf lesson. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and when you speak, you, you can tell the student's engaged, and and it's very very to the point and succinct, and it's not yeah. rushed at all. And I, I'm, you know, I think that's a really um, it seems to be all the elite golf coaches that I've seen and then I've heard from have the same sort of thing when they on the in the practice team. Right. With their students. Yeah.
1: I guess that maybe is just a bit of an experience thing. I think as you get more experienced as a coach, you you get very clear on what you see and how you feel like you could help the student in I don't like to use the word help them fast as if like you want to change everything, but Mm. maybe as you said, like just giving that the right amount of information very specific to what they need, whereas, you know, I would say as a young coach starting out, you kind of see what what you want to work on with the student. You, know, you can see that there's there's certain thing going on, but sometimes you kind of go kind of the long way to get there or you might quite hit on that point the first time. You know, it takes you a few goes. It takes you mm. five to ten lessons before you you actually really nail it. Whereas as you get further along, it it just takes you five minutes. And I'm not saying five minutes to make a change, but five minutes to kind of get the message across and for the student to to be kind of clear on that message. There's a lot less um, experimenting mm. um, and you, you hit the point a little bit faster. Now, you could still experiment with how to create the change, but I wouldn't say you're experimenting with um, the information that you're giving them. I think that becomes a lot yeah. clearer. And absolutely succinct, as you mentioned
0: and you back it in you, you don't you don't after a couple of weeks if it's not working you don't go oh no let's do something else so that's another thing i've learned you know in my 10 years of coaching early days i would be like oh my god this person's not getting it and you'd be just yeah. like changing everything next week oh let's yeah. try this let's do that and um yeah you know, i didn't yeah. back in what i wanted to do so and I, even if even if it's not technically correct I think if you're yeah. able to back yourself in and come across as, yep, this is what we're doing, this is going to work, your student will come along for the ride. There's not just one way to do things, as you know. I agree, yeah. But if, if the coach is succinct and positive and and positive and, and backs himself in or her in, um, the student yeah. will feel that vibe and come along with the ride.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I couldn't agree more. I mean, I was like 100% on board with what you were saying there. Um mm you you definitely need a, a, to, to, to coach at a, a high level. You need to have confidence in what you're doing. And I would also say you need to have a good plan of when the student's in front of you. And as soon as you start to give information, you need to be very clear sort of in what you're saying, because the student will pick up on that and you need to kind of follow through as well. And from what I've seen with with really good coaches that are certainly making you know changes or they're working through a student in different phases, I almost get a sense that they know what's coming before they've done it. So they kind of know already what's going to happen.
2: Mm.
1: Now that could even be, you know, with a conversation around mindset. You know, they they kind of know what the students you know what they're certainly getting information from the student, but they know what's going to happen as far as um, how it's going to help the student and they almost know the reaction of the student before they get it so for example a student that might say to me you know I was leading a tournament coming down the stretch and or or even something like a different example so one of my students she says you know I'm you know I struggled the other day I I made four straight birdies she's a good college player and you know everything like crumbled after that and You know, I can't, you know, I'm struggling to go low and, I, you know, I I feel that in that situation I'm not handling it very well. So they're obviously looking at it in a certain light and as a coach we need to go, well, hey, how many times have you had four birdies in a row before? Um, Mm -hmm. Do you know that, you know, being able to get four birdies in a row, it's going to be the pathway to shooting a 64-3-2 so the take that we would give it as a coach, we just put a different perspective on it. We come from this side and we say, this is actually a good thing.
2: Mm.
1: Good to be out of your comfort zone. When you're out of your comfort zone, you, know, you learn to develop um, you know, new thoughts and feelings that when you're in that situation again, you're able to better handle it. So we look at it from a completely different light and we know that that information when we feed it to them is going to fuel you know, a different response in their brain the next time that they're in that situation. And we could go deeper into that. Mm. Just like, you know, when we look at a certain setup position, and uh, let's say it's an ex- extreme slice setup position, so balls forward, uh, grips weak, hands at the back. Ball's only going to slice from there. So we know that when we tell the student, this is a good setup for a slice, if we want to neutralise that or even go into a draw, you know, we would have the grip a little bit more rotated or the face more closed we'd have the hands more forward and we have the ball more centered so we can say that because we know that when we do it it's going to now neutralize the path so I think good coaches have a mindset they have a they they understand what's going on they're able to relay that back to the student in a very clear way and then when they when the student goes and does that, they, they get the result that the coach said or, or that they said. So there's kind of like this nice little cycle of um, competency, you know, how they, they listen, they see the ball, they see the situation. They're able to give constructive feedback in a manner that the student can understand. They're able to deliver that feedback verbally, uh, you know, technically, video. And then the student gets a response straight away you know they're Mm -hmm. able to use that information oh Mm -hmm. the ball did this all of a sudden or oh i'm i'm three under again okay let's let's settle down here and and uh understand that this is normal it's normal that i'm going to be a little bit out of my comfort zone i'm going to use the breathing technique the coach said i'm going to get in my head and have some um let's say positive self-talk i'm not going to crap myself here and I'm going to stay focused on my routine, keep playing my shots and, you know, trust my process, start to have more faith and belief in themselves. I think when you can do that, all of a sudden, yeah, knowing what's going to happen before the student does gives them a lot of confidence. Um, yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, and you, we
1: are looking at.
0: Yeah, You talked about NLP um, before. Yeah, the understanding of, of how the human learns, the motivation part of, of being a coach, um, it, it's it's mm. very very important along with the technical side. So um, it, you you re- really well explain that as as a good coach should have all those areas. Do, do you have a fingerprint or a system? Not not for for the actual swing. We've talked about that, but yeah. in terms of your elite players developing them to become the pros and the, and the successful tour pros yeah. they want to be. Do you have a system in your mind to sort of get them there? Now have you have you developed that? or written that down or how do you go about there is it just so individual for you
1: it's it's definitely individual yeah and it's um it's a combination of too many things obviously maybe to, to list today mm. um because you know you you can get someone like a kieran pratt we go back to kieran literally i don't have to talk about the mental side to him he's a he's a bulldog you know in his case it's really just Okay, we're going to get his technique in order. We're going to make sure that he's, you get his ass into gear, make sure he's not being lazy, you know, whip mm-hmm. him a few times and mm-hmm. just let him run. You know, he'll mm-hmm. do the rest. He knows how to win. And then you look at, say, a, a, a Stacey, for example, where you have to feed every element of of that beast. Mm-hmm. Technically, she was very poor. Mentally, she needs some building up. Um when she's in situations on the golf course, she breaks down. So you need to let her understand this is okay. It's natural. We keep, we learn, we build, we grow. Mm -hmm. Kieran didn't break down. You know, he played with Tiger Woods and outscored him. You know, you don't Mm -hmm. have to teach him how to play. He's got that in him. So I think it is highly individual. You know, Mm -hmm. some students, it is more of that, you know, you need to dive into the, the mentality. You know, I work with, just the, probably the most talented golfer I've ever worked with, uh Indian girl named Aditi years ago. I, d- I didn't have to dive into the mental side. She was as strong as an ox. Mm, mm. You know, she was so dogged. Um, so for her, it was just developing more of her short game skills and her technical skills and her practice habits. She had poor practice habits, how she structured her practice. So in, in her case, it was very, very... Are different. You know, all three were different, and those were probably the three students that that I've worked with from a younger age. You know, I've worked with pros at a high level, and that's sure, but that have had success where I've had the most influence. And all three were completely different styles. So mm. to answer your question, it's all different. It gives you a little bit of a taste of some of the differences. And I think, you know, if you if you go into a lot of Cameron McCormick stuff, you know, you listen to his uh, "Earn Your Edge" stuff, it's Bring, uh, different players bring different things to the table and i think that's what makes individual coaching so interesting we're not all telling them the same thing mm. you know some mm. of it is more evaluation of stats and mental side, some of it's, it's more technical because they can't hit that shot they don't know how to they haven't got that technical proficiency so i think that's what makes it very interesting
0: yeah i would just to finish that's that's awesome steve now the I want to talk about the preparation because what I've spoken to a lot of tour players ex tour players and they keep talking about their best weeks are when they're prepared the most. So um they they talk about the mental preparation, they talk about knowing the shots they need to hit. So how do you prepare your elite players? Like what is it that you need to do to prepare your players to play and for them to be successful in, it, in any given week?
1: So I'll start off and say I Without a doubt, that the game and the mental, sorry, the the physical mental preparation of players is it's really on a different level than what it used to be. I think golfers and those sorts of players are much more aware of the things that they need to be doing. Um, You know, we've always heard of that word like periodization, and you know, preparing for specific weeks. Some of the things I like to do would be around. Analyzing that golf course, if we've got the opportunity to do so, they might have played that course the previous year. Looking at specific shots that they may need to play that week, is it a particularly narrow golf course, and do they need uh, a second, third, or fourth backup drive? You know, do they need do they need to learn how to hit their driver a little flatter because it's windy and narrow? Do they need to be able to hit a three wood off the deck that comes out a little bit more narrow, or a long iron? So things like that, I'd be I'd be looking at. Um, Bryson is just bombing all these things over bunkers. You know, Maybe his thought is, well, if I can just hit it 30 yards longer, I don't need to hit an iron off some of these holes mm. through a narrow gap. I can just bomb it over. So yeah. maybe that's his thought of preparation. But I, I would say what I'm looking to do is trying to map out what shots they might need that week. We know at Augusta it's more draws, and Tiger's already practicing draws all the way back in you know, November when he's playing other courses. Um, It could be the fact that the green speeds are going to be 12 the next week at the US Open. So we're not going to go and play it. I'm not going to practice at my home club, which I've got nines. I need to go and practice to that club that's, you know, a few kilometres away because their speeds are 11 and I need to get my feel in. So those are some of the things that, that I like to do. Going a little deeper, it would be just understanding shot pattern the players' dispersion coming into that week, um, what sort of shapes are they hitting and how is that going to work with specific like pin locations. So I think, but that, that would be more generic and I think that can be constructed no matter what course you're playing. And maybe even going another level deeper than that, you know, we might be getting more into competitive type practice with players, spending more time on golf course, um, stressing them a little bit more in competitive mode, Mm. obviously there's, there's hundreds of drills that, and, and ways that they can practice in that
0: respect yeah that brings me on to the unconscious competence part and, yep. and, and that's what you know we talk about with Mia going from you know she's got a nice foundation now you've built a beautiful foundation but now to make that unconscious competence where when she goes on the golf course she has to do it one time or you're playing yep. you're, you're, you're trying to get your card at Q school there's pressure so how do you develop your players, you know, to have that competence that's unconscious when there's pressure in and your mind tries to get in the way?
1: So a couple of different um, threads to pull on there. I think the second one being, you know, looking at going to a Q school and trying to figure that out. Some of it's experience for sure. You know, some players are just going to not know how to handle it the first or second time. And um, so sometimes just going back, like Stacy missed Q school the first time by one or two shots, she scored a 10 in the third round on one of the holes after hitting the pin and bouncing back in the water and then dumping her next one in there. And, and she missed by like one shot and the following year she came second. Mm. Uh, Aditi that I work with, won Q school as a 17-year-old with a record of 23 under par. Very different mindsets. So you know, some of it you could say is experience, and again, some of it's mindset. Kind of going back to what I, I said before, some of it, you know, is perspective. You know, having conversation around the fact that there's, let's say, 150 players trying to get 20 cards. The reality is more than half of those are already out because of their mindset. So if you can get your players to understand. Um, how to get into a frame of mind that they're not really competing against 144. There's probably 30 girls realistically that are going to get those 20 spots or 40. So, but not everyone needs to have that conversation, Mm. if that makes sense. So that that would be one thing. With regards to, to Mia, for me, I really have to get her to understand about her expectation levels going from what we've been doing And she's on social media and people are giving her a raz about getting on the golf course and hitting off grass. If she gets too caught up in that, she'll get cooked. So it's my job to kind of keep bringing her down a few notches and say, let's, let's firstly spend a bit more time at the range off grass. Let's then experience hitting out of rough. Uh, And she can do this on the golf course as well. um, But I prefer to do it with her boyfriend in a safe environment first. Let's, um, Let's start to talk about some different lies, like how do we adjust off those different lies? Because first thing I'd say, if she's not competent to hit it off grass or a mat, let's say off grass, of a flat lie seven out of 10 times, all that happens on the golf course is those averages start to get less and less. You know, it's going to go to 40%, 30%, then we get a hanging lie. It's going to... So I do think... For a beginner, there's a real stage in getting them ready. Now, you could throw anyone in the deep end and they can, you know, they they know how to, you know, they they can hold themselves. They're not going to drown. But they have to be prepared for some change. It's not going to be the same. So part of my job even with Amir is to get her to understand it, there's going to be some, you know, shaky grounds there. You know, it's not going to be smooth sailing. She has to be prepared for 20, 20 30, 50 most likely, which is, 10 to 20% of what she's doing on a mat will translate to the golf course. 30% is going to be somewhere in between and 50% is going to be carnage. (laughs) Now, I don't mind doing that because if it's better than that, she'll feel better about herself. But Mm -hmm. if it is that, which is probably about the reality, she'll be like, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. That's pretty much what coach says. She'll still ask me why but at least I can map it out for her and in her brain she'll be like, okay, well, I know, I mean, internally she'll feel like she should do a lot better, but if I've said that to her, Mm -hmm. um, she's not going to fall too hard. She'll just fall to a point and go, okay, well, that's pretty much what Stephen said. Uh, I'll get get on with it sort of thing. And then I'll just start to, Mm -hmm. like I said to her, you need to be able to do seven, eight, nine times out of ten off a mat or grass clean then we could start to understand those percentages when you get to the golf course. Then we can slowly start to shift those percentages in your favor on the golf course.
0: Yeah, I think that's a cool thing you say. Managing expectations is huge, definitely. Um, is, is there anything, experience is also another thing. Like you said, if, mm. once, once you go through the pressure, once you go through the understanding of a different environment, there's nothing better than that if you can learn from it. But is there yeah. anything in training that you can do? Um, is there anything particular you can try and get yourself into that mindset of being on the course? You've got one chance only. Is there, is there drills you give in terms of that um, for a beginner or a, a player to put yeah. themselves in the position where they, you know, it's the last hole, you've got to make birdie um, to make the card yeah. or whatever it is. is it, do you go through scenarios like that on course?
1: So in, in Mia's case, what I would do with her when she goes to a grass range, I would get her to, let's say, do a series of 10 shots with one club. And every time she hit a shot, she had to completely switch her angle and switch where she's hitting from. Now, it doesn't have to be you know, a big change, but she might hit one ball to, to a, the left side of the fairway and just aim at a tree. Then she might move three paces to the left with one other ball and aim down the middle of the fairway to, you know, a 100, then she might go back to where she was or on the opposite side and hit to the right side. So constantly changing target, changing angle, changing position is the closest thing we could probably do to the golf course on top of, you know, starting to change lie, But I still think that that would be you know, another stage when you can do what I've just explained reasonably solidly, and move around then the golf course experience is going to be a little bit easier mm. um and from a you know from a playing standpoint i would just say it's looks tough i mean i don't think it matters how much money you have on the line and how many guys you play with in like a competitive environment where you know you've got a one shot lead and you've all put in 100 or you've all put in 500 and there's mm. a little bit and the juices are flowing I don't still think you can replicate what it would feel like to have, to make part, to, to get your cut on the Asian tour or the US tour. I, I just, I really don't think, mm-hmm. I think that's still an experience thing. Yep. There's coping mechanisms for sure. You know how someone might talk to themselves, but I think mm-hmm. all of that is done through the course of um, being in those situations. Yeah. Very cool. Ultimately. And different people are going to handle it in different ways. I, I think that's fair to say based right. on a lot of things.
0: Yeah, cool, mate. Well, two questions to finish. One is if 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 you're a golf coach coming up, young trainee, and you're listening to this, what advice have you got from a young coach point of view to make a successful golf coaching career over a decade or so, 20 years, 30 years?
1: With, without a doubt, I mean, you have to have a passion for teaching. So assuming we've got a super passionate coach, I would mm. say literally learn everything you can learn within your chosen field even stuff that you think is not right, even stuff that you maybe, you know, it's, it's publicly, you know, someone says, oh, don't do what Mike Bender does. You know, that's, that's wrong. Or, you mm-hmm. know, don't do what Andy Plummer teaches or don't, don't do what George Gankus does. Learn what everyone does and you'll eventually, like, come up with, you know, what works for you. Like I'd say don't be single-minded. Be, like, very open-minded. And I would say that's for all areas of the game. If you want to be a coach, you need to have some skills in all areas. I don't think you need to be an expert in all areas, but you need to understand if the body is not working correctly, okay, maybe I can't help them out because you know, I haven't studied anatomy for my life, but I, I know that you know, this, this arm can't move very well. Is it an issue? Does he need to go and see a physio or whatever in order to get it to move effectively? Or do we work around it? um if you can't have a thoughtful conversation around their mindset in certain situations you're not going to be offered not Mm. going to be able to offer them the most value so sure they might need to go and and see a someone at a higher level that can help them with their routines and whatever but i think having a basic understanding of a lot of things is important Mm -hmm. um otherwise you're going to be a bit of a one trick pony which can still work i mean there's great swing coaches out there but i'd say be very open minded and be very passionate and learn as much as you can um, for the first 10 years do not be interested in making money there you
0: mm. go yeah nice great don't great try advice don't make money
1: in your first 10 years
0: great advice <laughs> absolutely great advice um, get it's out there on the teach get out there on the teaching deck and 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 just do the lessons and create your own fingerprint yeah yeah and back it in 100% back it in and yeah we talked about mike bender i mean yeah we could look at that he's so into it isn't he and he's so con- he's got conviction in what he's doing huge and and, amount yeah and that is that is just as important isn't it
1: i think it's the most important thing mm. yeah it doesn't matter what you teach it's you know it's how you teach and it's how you say it because ultimately mm. the student's going to draw confidence in how you deliver the message Mm-hmm. And and Mike's obviously a brilliant coach. He's had a, a laundry list of tour players that you or I would never have.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, it's just it's just the reality. So mm-hmm. whatever he's saying, he's it's working for him and his students. Mm-hmm. And I think there's you know it doesn't matter you know, what really you're saying as long as you're getting the results. That's the most important thing. Everyone's going to have differing opinions. You know, we're not we're not changing the world.
0: Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Um, but
1: mm-hmm. we're just trying to keep you know, get our students better and get them to enjoy the game at the highest mm. level that they can possibly get to.
0: Mm, yeah, great. And uh, the last one was, if, if I'm looking for a golf coach, um, mm. I'm out there, I'm, I'm, I'm either a beginner, I want to try the game or I want to take my golf to the next level, what do you look for in a, in a coach?
1: I would say you're definitely looking for a coach that fits the current level that you're playing at, which, again, can be somewhat subjective, Um, But if you're looking, for example, for coaches online or maybe in your area, I think you want to have an understanding of are they currently coaching a lot of beginners? Have they had success, you know, an elite player? Are they working with current elite players? You know, Jay Kelly at the moment who's in England, he's got a tour school project he's doing. He's got 25 or 30 really elite players. So his focus is he wants to create Mm. uh, players that can play on the Q school. He's very focused. So, you know, if golfers are elite players are looking for someone in his area, they're going to be drawn to him. Mm -hmm. Uh, Bernie that coaches in Singapore works with juniors all under 10. That's where you're going to go. You don't go to me. So I'd say do your research on who you, you who are you right now? Like what level are you at and which coaches had results in that space? It can be other things like price points and whatnot i, I kind of get that, but you know if you can come up with a list of two or three coaches that you've heard speak, you know maybe it's on YouTube, maybe it's on Instagram, maybe it's on their website, and you know you like their message and they've had some proven results. I think that's where um, marketing and social media is important. If you can put live lessons of how you've um, you know uh, improved the student, whether that's Instagram, whether that's YouTube or whatever. And students can watch that. Now they can make a very informed decision versus just some nice text that might be on your website. Mm. I just think that's where everything's going. It's, it's very visual. You need to be putting yourself out there to some extent, whether that is written or it's video or it's, you know, you're able to project your message out there. Mm. Um, so I think the student needs to do their homework.
0: Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, good advice, mate. And uh, I want to uh, thank you for your time. Um, I've, I've enjoyed it. We enjoyed our <laughs> chat, and um, I'm, I'm sure people at home have too. If they want to hook awesome. up with you um, either online or locally um, in KL, um, tell, tell us where to find you.
1: Yeah, so my website is uh, sggc.com.au. Um, I probably do use Instagram the most, SG Golf Coaching. Um, yeah. So, yeah, those are probably the two main sources, and I, I do teach quite a bit in KL and when I'm traveling across uh, Southeast Asia, KL, Malaysia.
0: Yeah, fantastic. Well, I recommend that uh, people look you up, even if it's just a, your Instagram, give you a follow. Um, great, great information. Cheers, so uh, good luck to you, mate. Um, as I said, uh, I'm glad you're out of lockdown now and back out on the tea and, <laughs> yeah. uh look forward to catch up at some point.
1: Awesome, buddy. Hopefully we can travel soon and catch up.
0: <laughs> yeah, sounds like a plan, mate.